Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about the sufferings that we experience in life and loss. That is true, but from a bigger picture perspective, there is a benefit not to the sufferings, but there is a benefit to being here at all. And that benefit has to do with knowing our God. That the fact of the matter is, is that we would not know him unless we were here. Now, certainly, there is a lot of suffering in the world, and it is not my belief, I do not believe, that he personally desires suffering in the world. I don't believe that he wants to see that, but he has structured things in such a way that he is allowing it to occur. He is allowing it to happen, and he is making use of it in order to reveal more about who he is. And so in the previous program, I was explaining this, and I was explaining that the benefit of what we can gain while being here at all is definitely worth the cost of whatever sufferings this world might provide. I was also explaining that there are times when he has intervened in people's lives and prevented them from experiencing suffering or loss, but there are other times when he has not intervened. Now, I'd like to proceed with this and say that there are times when he intervenes, there are times when he does not intervene. Now, how does he decide when he is going to intervene and when he is not going to intervene? I have no idea. There is no way to know. I am confident in saying that there is some criteria that he uses to decide when he is going to personally intervene and when he is not going to intervene. I am confident in saying that there must be some criteria, but I have no idea what that criteria is. I really don't. And the reason why is because he has not revealed anything in the Scriptures about what the criteria might be that he uses, and he has given me no divine insights concerning what this criteria might be. But here's the issue. If he did, then what would that look like? What would that look like anyway? I mean, let's say that he gives us a list of all the criteria that he uses in order to decide when he is going to prevent someone, when he's going to personally intervene and prevent someone from experiencing suffering, and when he is not going to intervene. What is that criteria? And if he gives us a list, what are people going to do with a list like that? They're going to look at it, and they're going to say something that sounds like this. They're going to say, you know, I approve of that list, or I do not approve of that list. That's what people are going to do. They're going to say that they approve of it or they don't. Now think about that kind of an attitude. Think about that for just a moment. You're going to pass judgment on God because you don't think that his criteria is acceptable. I personally believe that is why he won't reveal the criteria. Because if he does, then people are going to pass judgment against him. And who do these people think they are? 
I mean, who do they think they really are to pass judgment on God and say that what he does or what he does not do is acceptable or unacceptable? That's the point, is that what is more important is not trying to determine what is acceptable or what is unacceptable. The issue is not trying to determine whether or not God is operating appropriately in the world that he has created. The issue is is that you need to acknowledge that he is God and you are not. And if this is the way things are, if this is the way that God wants things to be, then you are going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to acknowledge it, and you're going to have to accept it. You're going to have to look to him and say, I will trust that you will make the best decision concerning this criteria, that you will make the best decision concerning when you are going to intervene and when you are not going to intervene. You have to trust him concerning this. Now, another thing that people will say is, is that if he could intervene and he does not, then that means that he is responsible for the sufferings in life. And I don't think that's the case. I don't think that that is an appropriate conclusion to come to. Let me give you an example. Let's say that you're in a grocery store and you're shopping for groceries. You're buying things. You're pushing your cart around. And somebody turns a corner and kicks you in your shin. Let's just use this as an example. Somebody kicks you in your shin. Now, God could have intervened. He could have sent an angel down to stand between you and this individual so that this individual could not kick your shin. Perhaps he would kick the angel's shin instead, which I would have confidence would have a shin guard on it as well and will probably hurt the toe of the individual, right? We can create a circumstance like this. We could say that, yes, he could have intervened. He could have intervened in some way, but he did not. Now, if he does not, we don't say that he is responsible. We don't say that he is the one who is responsible for the sin that was committed. We say that the individual who kicked you in the shin is the one who is responsible So you need to get your responsibility straight if you're going to pass judgment on God. You need to understand that the fact that he did not intervene does not make him responsible for the sin that somebody else committed. Now, you might think something like, well, then why did he allow this individual the opportunity to choose to decide if they wanted to kick you in the shin or not? How could he have even given this person the option to do that? Well, maybe he should give you no option either. Maybe he should not allow you to have the ability to choose anything in your life either. And perhaps you would like things to be that way. But things are not that way. And the reason why things are not that way is because God is accomplishing. He is doing something else. He has a different purpose than to just create a bunch of little robots who will just simply function in whatever life that they have and will never be able to go outside of the boundaries of righteousness and holiness, he has provided an opportunity for people to choose to do good or to do evil. And the value of giving people the option is great because there is something else that he can gain out of this. There is something else that he can gain. Let me give you an example. There are many things that he gains out of this. But one simple thing is the fact that you get to choose, you get to decide if you want to know him or if you don't want to know him. If you don't want to know him, then he has created this world in such a way that you can live in this world and have a life that totally rejects his existence. You have that option. 
Haven't you noticed that other people do that? There's lots of people in the world who live without any acknowledgement that there is even a God at all. He has allowed you to do that. You can choose to do that. You know you can do that. You know full well that you can just simply turn your back on him, that you can forget about him, that you can just go and do whatever you want. And it may take a little while for you to forget about him a whole lot. But in time, if you really work at it, I believe that you can find a way to live a life like an unbeliever can, or at least pretty close to it, that you can do that, you have the option to do that. Now, the fact that we don't, and I personally am saying that only to a certain extent, because I personally can see no way that I could ever turn back to a life in the world. I just know him too well. There's just no way that I could possibly pursue that. But that's that truly is another subject. I'm just trying to use this as an illustration, as an example, to show you that he has given people the opportunity to choose if they want to know him or if they don't want to know him. And so what does he gain? He gains a people who grow to know him because they want to. Not because they have to, but because they really want to. You know, the angels did not have this option. The angels were created by God, and they encountered him, they experienced him, in such a way that they could not deny his existence. There was no way that they could deny that he existed at all. And even in the midst of that situation, about a third of the angels decided that they would no longer participate in the things that he created them for. A third of the angels decided to go their own way. They are referred to as the fallen angels. They are referred to as the demons. Our God created the angels, and he created them in such a way that they had no option to decide if they wanted to know him, acknowledge his existence, or not. But what he did do was give them the ability to decide if they wanted to continue in the existence that he created them for, or if they wanted to live in a different way that he did not approve of. And a third of them chose that, and a third of them fell. The devil, for example, is a being, is an angelic being who decided to function, to live, to be, to exist outside of the purpose that God created him for. Unless perhaps you think that the Lord was sort of sitting around on his throne one day and thought, you know, things are a little boring here. I just really need some excitement in my life. I think I need a devil. I think I really need a devil in my life. That's what I really need. And so he decided to create a devil. And instead of just creating one from scratch, he decided to take one of the angels that he made and then uh, corrupt this angel and destroy, tear down, make his creation dysfunctional in some way. That's what he really did. There are some people who actually believe that kind of stuff. I don't. I don't share that belief. But I understand there are some people who really believe that God was just sitting around, bored one day perhaps, and just decided that he needed a devil in his life. In fact, he needed a lot of them, and so he decided to take all of his angels, divide them into thirds, keep two-thirds, and let one-third become evil and cause pain and suffering and all that kind of stuff. Some people really believe that, but I don't. I personally believe that the angels fell because they wanted to, because they decided that they wanted to function outside of what God created them to be. Now, of course, the problem that the demons now get to face is that there is no redemption. There is no redemption for the angels. Those who decided to be demons, they're stuck. That's it. 
Their destination is going to be a place called the Lake of Fire that was created for the devil and his angels where they will eventually be placed. That's all they get to look forward to. So between now and then, they are not going to have an opportunity to return to the angelic state that they were in before. They are not going to have an opportunity for redemption. There is no forgiveness. There is no nothing for them. All they have to look forward to is the lake of fire. And so between now and then, if they're going to live, if they're going to function at all, they're going to have to function within the boundaries of what they once had and what they're about to be thrown into. And those boundaries leave them in a situation where they are relatively alone. They are on their own. Now they have each other, but what are they going to do? How are they going to function? How are they going to live? We experience the demons in a very destructive way that they are apparently responding to the rejection that they have experienced from God. They are responding to that by taking away us from him and destroying us for whatever reason they may have. But eventually even that will come to an end. So here is an example where the Lord has created someone. He has created a being who had the opportunity to choose to do that which was good or to do that which was evil, and one-third of the angels chose to do that which is evil. Now, even though he allowed them that choice, he has done so within certain boundaries. And those boundaries have not been completely defined, but we do know that there is a boundary because at a certain point he will cast them into the lake of fire For the rest of eternity. And so that is a boundary and that shows that he still has total sovereignty. He still has total control. But within that, he is allowing a certain element of freedom within his control, within his sovereignty, within his kingdom. I think this is very important to understand because if you can understand that he gave the angels this option then it shouldn't be very difficult for you to appreciate the fact that he gave us that option too. When he created mankind and he put them into the Garden of Eden, he provided Adam and Eve the option of doing that which was good or that which was evil. He created a garden and there were boundaries that this garden existed in. I know that there were boundaries because when they fell, he established a boundary and said that they will not have access to the Garden of Eden anymore, which means that there was a place that was the Garden of Eden, and there was a place that there was not the Garden of Eden. There were boundaries established, and he kept them from going into the Garden anymore. I do consider that, and so there were physical boundaries, and within the Garden there were certain rules, boundaries in the sense of what they could do and what they could not do. And the boundary was very simple. They could eat from any tree except for from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, of course, they fell, and certainly he provided them with redemption. But the angels will not experience redemption. This is something that we can know. This is something that we can experience that the angels will never experience. It is my belief that they have a desire to know the depths of redemption that they have a desire to know this quality, this characteristic of their God, but they will never know their God in the context of him personally 
redeeming them. They will never know that about him. They do know him to an extent, but there are limits to how they will know their God. Us, on the other hand, there are things that we can know about our God that the angels cannot. A brief summary is to just simply say that we can know his forgiveness and the angels will never know his forgiveness. We can know his patience, but the angels will never know what it means to say that God is patient with them. You can know that your God loves you, but the angels will never know what it means for God to love them as he loves you. They will never know that. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, at the end of verse 12, he says that there are things into which angels long to look. They long to look. I believe that they would like to know what you can know and what you can embrace, but they never will. They cannot, but you can. Again, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, it says, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. The gospel is composed of things that the angels will never know. So this is another big picture description, and that is to say that the bigger picture concerning the sufferings of life, the bigger picture is that, yes, there is a cost. Yes, the cost is very high. This cost that you can be a victim, that you can experience suffering, that you can experience pain. This is great cost. I understand that. But the benefit of being here at all The benefit of being in the situation is that you will have an opportunity to know your God in a way that the angels could never know him and that they long to know him, but they cannot. But you can. And so this is a benefit. This is a benefit. And I personally believe that the benefit is worth the cost. That yes, for God to structure things in such a way that he has given people the opportunity to decide if they want to do good or if they want to do that which is evil. He has given people the opportunity to do that. And with that opportunity, it turns out that most people are deciding to be sinful. Most people are deciding to be evil. And I understand that that is painful, but that is not his responsibility. It is their responsibility. They are the ones who are responsible for that. They are the ones who are doing that which is evil. But in the midst of that, he is able to use these circumstances in such a way that he can show you who he is. And that is the benefit. There is a benefit in the midst of the cost. Now, again, this is not a way of justifying the pain. This is not a way of justifying the suffering. I'm not going to say you need to be okay with all the pain that you have in your life because of what you get in terms of what you get in your relationship with God. I'm not trying to say that you need to be okay with the pain and suffering. I'm not wanting to say that. I'm wanting to acknowledge fully that the reason for the pain and suffering is because people have chosen to be evil. People have chosen to be sinful. That is why. If you want to know why you're experiencing pain and suffering, that's why. It's simple. It's not because God is doing this to you. 
It's because he has had to allow for it in order to provide the opportunity, the situations, the circumstances, so that people can know their God for who he really is, the fullness of who he is and the depth of his character, and that that is worth it. But it's difficult to know what I mean when I say that is worth it until after he reveals himself and after you believe in him and after you trust in him. And I don't mean in the context of salvation. I mean in the context of what he reveals about himself after you have been saved. That's what I'm referring to. And so you've got to have patience. You've got to believe him. You've got to have faith in him. And trust him that he will reveal himself. And he does. It doesn't mean that people will believe him when he does, but he still does. And I do believe that he is very patient concerning this and will not fail to continually try to show you who he is, even though you may not want to see the depths of his being. That if you are saved, if you are a child of God, he will not cease to try to find new ways of showing you his love, of showing you his mercy, of showing you how he really sees you and how much he cares for you. Now, for the rest of this program, I would like to talk about the circumstances in the Garden of Eden a little bit. I think it's very important to talk about this because when you consider what happened in the Garden of Eden, I want you to really consider the implications of what happened. You see, there are many people who believe that if anything happens, it's because God wanted it to happen. And I personally don't share that belief, but there are many people who believe that, and they really want to, and there's no way to convince them otherwise, because they are afraid of what may happen if they acknowledge that maybe he is relating to us in a different way. But I want you to understand that I personally believe that he has given people the freedom to make decisions about what they are going to do and what they are not going to do, and that he is not the one to make these decisions. Now, I gave you the example of the angels and how the angels decided to reject their position, to reject their purpose. When he created Adam and Eve, he gave them the option also. He gave them the option to choose, and the way that he did it was by giving them the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. He gave them that tree, he put it there, and yet he said, do not eat from that tree. And so it's not something that they were supposed to do, it's not something that he necessarily wanted them to do, but he put that tree there, and he told them not to eat from that tree. Did they choose to eat from that tree? Or did they do it because it was his will? What's the deal? I mean, what is it really? Was he the one who made them do it? Or did they do it? It's an important question to ask because there are a lot of people, there are many people who would say that the reason why Adam and Eve ate from that tree is because he caused them to do that. Like when he caused Pharaoh's heart to be hardened. Pharaoh didn't have a choice. He didn't have an option. And so likewise with Adam and Eve, he caused them to do it. That this is the way that we should really read Genesis chapter 3. He caused them to eat from that tree. We need to rewrite the chapter, in other words. We need to go into the scriptures and rewrite it. Because when Eve said that the devil deceived her, and because of that deception she ate from that tree, 
God should have responded to that. We need to add some things into that chapter. We need to insert one more part to that conversation. This is what people believe, that what we need to add into this conversation is that God needed to say, no, Eve, no, Eve, you've got it wrong. The devil didn't make you do it. He didn't deceive you into doing it. That's not what happened. I am the one who caused you to eat from that tree, that you didn't really have a choice at all, that you have no will, you have no option to choose. The reality is, is that God caused them, caused her to eat from that tree. And then what does he do? And because I have caused you to eat from that tree, I've also decided that I'm going to punish you for it as well. Not only did I make you do it, and you had no way to avoid eating from that tree. Not only have I caused you to do this, but I'm going to cause some pain in your life. I'm going to cause some suffering in your life. You need some pain in your life, I suppose. So you'll experience it in childbirth, and Adam is going to experience it for the rest of his life by having to work to the point of exhaustion or sweating, a pain in his life. He's going to work by pulling the weeds up out of the ground in order to produce food so that you guys can eat. Otherwise, you're going to experience even more pain. That this was the attitude of God, that's what people believe. They really do. They really believe that Adam and Eve were forced, that he made them eat from that tree. And this premise results in conclusions that I believe are not only very obscure, to try to use a kind word concerning this, not only obscure, but I believe are totally wrong. I just don't believe that the conclusions that people end up with are valid. I really don't. I think that they are a lie. I think that they are totally false. But there are other people who do not believe that. They really want to believe that he is the one who decides all things and causes all things. They really want to believe that there is no maverick molecule in the universe and that this is an opportunity to show that. And that while we may not have that explicitly written there, that God was the one who actually caused Adam and Eve to eat from the wrong tree, that's really what happened. I I just don't believe that. I really don't. I believe that they chose to do something that was evil. And as a result of that, they experienced some consequences. And I will continue with this in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net There can be 